There is one story that every person is a part of, and it goes like this. God created us out of love to be in relationship with him. But our trust in God was broken by sin, and we became separated from him. So God sent Jesus Christ into the world to redeem us and restore us to new life. We all belong within the big, universal story of God's redeeming love. But at the same time, we each have our own individual experiences with God. Our encounters with his grace, mercy, hope, healing. These moments are as unique and unrepeatable as we are. And they are stories that are meant to be shared. You're listening to The Story, a podcast by St. Andrew the Apostle Catholic Church. In each episode, a different member of our community tells the story of a personal experience in their journey to know and follow the Lord. Hi everyone, welcome back to The Story. For episode 12, I invited Deacon Doug Cummings to be our guest. Deacon Doug will be telling the story of how he came to join the Catholic Church and the journey that he followed to becoming a deacon. Um, Deacon, why don't you start by introducing yourself for people who are listening? Okay. Well, thanks, Marissa, for for having me here. No problem. Um, I'm Deacon Doug Cummings. Um, I am married uh, to Maureen, and I have two kids that are both married and uh, have grandkids. And uh, I came into the church um, as an adult. And so I thought I would share a little bit about kind of my journey uh, into the Catholic Church, if that's okay. Yeah. And you work here full-time as a deacon now, but what were you doing before that? So I worked in the in the secular world. Um, I worked for a long time for a research and consulting company, okay. the Harris Poll. And uh, it was only in uh, February of 2020 mm-hmm. that I began working full-time in the church as pastoral associate. Mm-hmm. So Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah, go ahead and just wherever you think the beginning is, take it away. Yeah. So I grew up in Lansing and Mm -hmm. uh, we attended the Lutheran Church Mm -hmm. in Lansing where my parents and my grandparents and a bunch of my aunts and uncles all went to that church. My grandfather was actually one of the original bell ringers in the church. He would ring the bell for the Mm -hmm. beginning of service. And so I was baptized there. I was confirmed there. And, uh, you know, kind of did all the Sunday school and uh, young adult type things there. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny because I remember specifically that in young adult, they always warned us about dating Catholics <laughs> and uh, only to later on begin dating Catholic. <laughs> um, so I obviously I didn't listen very well at that age, but I did. And uh, uh, my wife, Maureen, was a cradle Catholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a little bit of an entry into her family as well. One of her aunts kind of cornered me once and said, so you're Lutheran. So, but we, we got over that hurdle. Okay. So, uh, and then we were married in the Catholic Church. We got married in Queens and Jackson. Okay. But at that time, and even when we moved to Ann Arbor, I was still attending the Lutheran Church and mm. she was attending St. John's in Ipsy. And uh, sometimes I would attend mass with her and uh, then other Sundays, I would go to uh, the, the Lutheran church. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the minister of the church that I went to um, 
called me into his office one day and and he kind of uh scolded me a little bit mm. about not being a regular and mm. uh, he you know and I explained what I was doing and he kind of thought that was a problem okay and uh so I listened to him politely and continued to do what I was doing mm-hmm then uh, he called me into his office a second time, and the second time was a, a little bit more than a scolding. And uh, But again, I continued to do what I was doing. And then after our son was born uh, and he was baptized at St. John's, mm-hmm. uh, we were out in a, I don't know, shopping or something, and we ran into him. So he saw, mm. you know, my wife and, and the fact that we had a son. And so he called me into his office a third time. And asked me about why Alex was baptized in the Catholic Church. So I explained that to him. And uh, he showed me his displeasure. And about three weeks after that meeting, I received a letter in the mail mm-hmm. of um, excommunication. Really? So that I was no longer welcome in the Lutheran Church. I didn't even know that they did that. I didn't either. Oh. Uh, but mm-hmm. I was quite taken back, as right. you can imagine. And uh, so uh, I was also quite upset. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did is I just started regularly attending with mm-hmm. Maureen. At the time when that happened, when you were coming, like you were saying, sometimes I would come to church with Maureen. And um, were, was it more just of out of a, it's just nice to go together to church sometimes, or it's more convenient? Or um, did she ever come with you to Lutheran church? Or was it mostly one way? Um, I would say it was more often that I would go with Maureen because I wanted to be with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and occasionally she would also come okay. with me. But were you at that point leaning Catholic or was it just more of a like life circumstances type thing? I guess perhaps I was thinking about it mm-hmm. too simplistically because I felt like I was hearing the word of God right. at both places right. and that it was okay. I just It's interesting that he came down on you so hard because it sounds like you weren't you're coming to Catholic Church. doesn't sound like it was you actively seeking to leave the Lutheran Church. Not at all. Not wow. at all. It was mm. just more of spending time with my wife and sharing an right. experience with her, right. and and uh, hmm. that's all it was. Interesting. And do you know, is that a common thing to have that happen? I have never heard of that happening, and I've talked to several people, and wow. I have they had never heard of that hmm. happening to that extent for that reason. So at that point, you just started regularly going with Maureen to the Catholic Church. Correct. Yep. Uh, and then, again, that was at St. John's. And then we moved to Celine. Mm-hmm. And ironically, we moved right next door to St. Andrew's here. And so we started attending here. Mm-hmm. And one day, Father Roger, who was the, the pastor at the time, um, we were in the parking lot. And uh, he said, well, you know, you're coming to Mass every weekend. Mm-hmm. Why don't you uh, join the church? And I said, okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's really all that took simple, was wow. uh, a, a very simple introduction to it, yeah. a, a simple invitation, invitation to it. Invitation, yeah. And so um, I went through RCIA mm-hmm. in uh, what year was it, 1992, mm-hmm. um, I came into the Catholic Church. So then you had kind of your whole family coming to this parish. Right. Uh, and what was your experience like as a new Catholic? Um, I was I was intrigued and excited. Obviously, going through RCIA, you learn a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you're a cradle, whatever it is, Lutheran or Catholic, you kind of just take certain things for mm-hmm. granted. But when you make a conscious decision 
um, to do something of entering the church, I mm -hmm. think you you take it a little bit more seriously. And I, yeah. I remember, you know, after an RCIA class, I would go home and say, Maureen, did you know this? And she would be going like, nope, I didn't know that. Right. And, uh, you know, I think for anybody, whether you're a cradle Catholic or new, I think RCIA is something that everybody should go mm -hmm. through at least once in their life mm -hmm. because you just begin to appreciate more about why we do what we do as Catholics. Mm -hmm. And once you know why we do what we do, it's much more, much easier to get excited mm -hmm. about what we do and yeah. what we share. And to follow church teaching, it becomes easier when you understand why that's the church teaching on things. Yep. Or, but I, I think when you grow up, um, even when you go to Sunday school, you just have a different level of understanding of things as an adult, of how things fit together, I think. So I agree. I think it's something that everyone <laughs> should go through because there's so much to learn. And, yep. and that's true. So our RCIA going brothers and sisters are always a good source of like motivation and inspiration yep. for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So and then, um, you know, I became a lector and mm -hmm. I became a Eucharistic minister and got involved in a couple of mm -hmm. the commissions and things like that. So mm -hmm. I got involved in mm -hmm. things. And uh, so, yeah, I was excited about it. And uh, mm -hmm. I was, I have to say, I was much more excited about being a Catholic than I ever was about being mm -hmm. Lutheran, just because it just felt different. It mm -hmm. felt more enriched and, and mm -hmm. enlivening to me. And then was it a while before you decided to become a deacon? Well, it was, it was a few years and uh, I remember it was um, Father Roger gave a homily on vocations. Okay. And in in that homily, he talked specifically about deacons. And Deacon Paul was already a deacon mm -hmm. here. Um, and uh, I didn't really think too much about it. But for the next couple of weeks, I kept waking up in the middle of the night uh, with the word deacon in my head. Hmm. And I didn't know why. I really didn't know what a deacon was, so mm -hmm. I don't... You know, it was just kind of strange. And so, but I, I kept waking up with this word in my head. And so mm -hmm. I uh, I went to talk to Father Roger. And I remember the first thing he said to me, oh, is, you'll be a great deacon. Oh, wow. And I'm going like, well, what do you what mean? what I was asking. What do you mean? I don't even know what it means. <laughs> like, I'm just telling you I have this word in my head. I wasn't saying right. I want to be one. <laughs> right. And so, you know, huh? but then he put me in touch with the, the director of vocations mm -hmm. and I met with him. And, you know, I learned about what it would take. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a pretty big academic piece up front. And at the time, I was traveling for uh, the company that I worked with mm -hmm. at the time, and I was traveling abroad a lot. I was traveling down to Central and South America and Mexico a lot. And so I really couldn't commit to the academics. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm kind of feeling like I'm called to do something here, but I can't really do it right now. So we just kind of put it on the back burner. And I kind of thought, well, if my job ever changes, then, you know, we'll think about it again. And, you know, as God would have it, my job a few years later changed. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't traveling as much. So I went, talked to him again and mm -hmm. made the decision to at least start the academics and see what it, mm -hmm. what it was going to be like. How long is the, the preparation process? Well, f for me, the academics was four years. Okay. Because I was obviously still working full time. I was taking like one okay. class a semester and I already had a, a bachelor's and a master's degree. So, you know, I wasn't not used to school. Right. Um, but uh, 
I remember the first class that I signed up for uh, was called liturgical catechesis, which at the time I had no idea what that even meant. And I showed up and there were, I think, eight other students in the class. Mm -hmm. And there was a priest that was teaching it. And I politely sat through the first half of the class. Mm -hmm. And then I went up to the priest at the break and I said, you know, I think I'm going to just bow out right here. I said, I've been, you know, listening for the last hour and a half and I have no idea what you talked about. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was almost as if I was in an intermediate language class Mm. And I never even took the basics mm -hmm. because I really didn't know what they were talking about. And he just said, you know, just sit through the second half and, you know, it'll it'll start to make more sense. And I'm going like, I got nothing else to do right now, so I'll I'll sit through this class. And at the end, I said, you know, I don't really think I'll be back because mm. I didn't get any more out of the second half than I did out of the first half. And he said, well, just come back next week, mm -hmm. and, you know, so... I went back the next week and the following week and the week after, and it started to make a little bit of sense to me. Um, I never kind of felt comfortable um, through most of my, I mean, I was good at academics, but I always just felt like I was out of place. Mm. Um, and uh, because the, the people around me seemed so much smarter on this these topics, mm -hmm so much holier than I, so, you know, just like, I'm just kind of a normal guy and, and you know, so, but I, I really liked the classes, um, mm -hmm. so I kept going through that. And then you actually have to then apply to the formation itself. Okay. Uh, and that was a miserable experience. Oh, no. Uh, because you have to go through a panel interview. And it was, without a doubt, one of the worst experiences for Maureen and I to go through. Wow. And uh, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but at the end, um, we just both decided that this wasn't for us mm. and that uh, we were just going to bow out. And so I was I was fully prepared to, to just stop. Wow. So you had done all the academic stuff oh, at yeah. that point? Well, I think I had two classes yet okay. that I had to do, but they I was far enough so along. So you weren't like in the technically in the diaconate no. formation yet. So the people in your classes, I wanted to ask that. Uh, where were the classes at? Um, it, well, it's through Siena Heights. It's okay. a shared program with Siena Heights and the diocese. And while some classes were offered on campus, most of them were offered at satellite locations. Like I took one up in Flint. I took some here in Ann Arbor, mm -hmm. one in Ipsy. I think I took one in Jackson and one in Lansing. Okay. So at that point, it wasn't. It was just a mixture of people who were taking yep. classes. Yeah, it was. Okay. A, it okay. was like okay. some some music ministry people, some yeah. DREs, some you know, just mm -hmm. different interested people. And something about the diaconate formation that I think I just learned in the last couple of years: your spouse does have to go through a certain amount of it with you. Is that right? Yes. All of the once you are admitted into the aspirancy, which is one year. Okay. And then after that, there's three years of candidacy. Mm -hmm. And your wife is expected to travel that journey with mm. you. And um, so, yes, that was okay. a big commitment on both yeah. of our parts. Yeah. And we had to go through the panel interviews mm -hmm. together. Okay. So after the panel interview, which did not go well for you, then you decided this is not for me. Yep. And what happened after that? Well, I had already had a meeting uh, scheduled on the books with Bishop Mengling. Um, as part of this process. And I didn't want to not show up for the bishop. 
So we went to the meeting and uh, I kind of explained where we are at. So I figured I'd kind of cut the meeting a little short mm-hmm. and just not waste his time. And he kind of completely flipped us around. And, you know, he said, you know, the right words and it convinced Maureen and I to uh, to start up again and at mm-hmm. least try it. Wow. So you were, I mean, you were really close to not being a deacon oh, at yeah. that point. Totally close. Wow. That's yep. okay. So, and then you went through diaconate formation. Yep. And again, the first year of aspirancy is really deciding, you know, is this what you're being called to? Mm-hmm. Um, and discerning that part mm-hmm. of it as well. And I would say f- during aspirancy and even the three years of candidacy, probably up until about a month before I was ordained, I was completely convinced that I was not who God was calling me to be. Mm. You know, I just, it was one of those, like, he was he was going down a list on a piece of paper and he stopped at the wrong name. You know? Really? Yep. It was, hmm. but, you know, I always felt like he was, you know, still encouraging and pushing mm-hmm. and shoving me along um, <laughs> to do this, but it, I still was convinced it wasn't, that I wasn't who he was calling. Mm-hmm. So. It's interesting. I think I hear that from people, well, in all sorts of ways, a lot of times, like we think we hear a call and we start to follow it and then we start to think, oh, maybe I was wrong about this. I just think it's interesting that so many people feel like they're not the right fit or they're not who God is calling. It's like, well, we can't all be not who God is calling or God wouldn't be calling anybody. Right. But for some reason, we all end up experiencing that at some point in our discipleship. And it just interests me to hear that from a lot of people in their own unique way. That commonality of like, I can't really be who this has got to be a mistake. I'm not qualified. I don't have the tools to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't have kind of what it Mm -hmm. takes to to be what they Mm -hmm. what a deacon is. Yeah. What did you? I I just thought of this as you were saying that. What did you think that it would be to be a deacon, and is that different than what it actually is? It's a great question. I mean, we we learned about the specific responsibilities and Mm -hmm. the functions of a deacon through formation. You know, we learned about marriage, we learned about baptism, we learned Mm -hmm. about preaching and homiletics. Um, But it was, it was the functions of it. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really the, the transition is more about the heart. Because, you know, when you have all of these doubts, when you think about I'm not qualified, you know, what you grow to appreciate and what you well I hope everybody appreciates is that it's not it's not me. Yeah. You know, in the end. It's mm-hmm. God working through me and it's kind of getting myself out of the way mm-hmm. so that God can work through me. And once you can try to overcome some of those things, and that's a constant battle. But once you can begin to look through that lens and kind of like get yourself out of the way yeah it really opens up the opportunities mm-hmm. to what you can do for God and what yeah. God can work through you to accomplish. That's really when the Holy Spirit starts to really work through you yep. is when it's like, it's kind of, it seems counterintuitive because it's like giving up control or a little bit of the work, but you are working. In fact, the work is goes into letting go. <laughs> and for me, that was really hard because I kind of like to be in control you know, I always hoped that, you know, God would show me, as I like to put it, like the runway lights. Mm-hmm. Like you can see the lights all the way out and this is what you follow and this is exactly mm-hmm. where you go and and this will all work out. 
and what I quickly you know, grew to learn is that you don't get the runway lights. You get one light at a time, and it may be here, and it may be over there, and it could be over here, and you just have to kind of understand how to flow where God wants you to flow at that particular moment to serve that mm-hmm. particular need. Yeah. And that, for me, was very uncomfortable because I like things planned out. I like mm-hmm. to organize and be in control, and yeah. And uh, you really do have to give up a lot of what you think you want in control. It makes me think about the image in my mind was like when you're driving in fog and you can only see like 10 feet ahead of you at a time and you come up to a curve that you had no idea was there um, and you have to turn. Yeah. (laughs) If you don't turn, you're going to run off the road, but you don't know that it's coming necessarily. And um, that's very disconcerting (laughs) to say the least. Yeah. And again, for me, uh, as I mentioned er earlier to you, I'm kind of an introvert Mm -hmm. and you know, I like to be kind of like into the wallpaper in a room, mm-hmm. you know, and so I don't like to be out in front. And so you might say, well, why do you go up on the altar to preach mm-hmm. then? Because it's not me, because otherwise I wouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's there's a constant challenge to my comfort zone um, in the role that I have. But it uh, it makes life interesting. Yeah. Uh, what do you enjoy most about being a deacon? I love baptisms. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's I think it's just the ability to interact with people at mm-hmm. a at a faith level. Yeah. You know, I, I worked so long in the secular world, and there's a lot of times when it's I want to say false, but it's kind of feels phony sometimes. You have these conversations that right. are very empty and shallow and things like yeah. that. But when you can talk with somebody about their faith and help them and encourage mm-hmm. them. That's very rewarding, mm-hmm. and and sometimes some of the things that I do, I help somebody that I don't even realize, mm-hmm. um, or somebody will come up a month after a homily and say, yeah. you know, I've really been thinking about that, mm-hmm. and it, and it's like, you know, that's really gets to me. I'm thinking about the things as a deacon, like you're involved in some really big moments in people's lives, which is really cool. Uh, their baptisms and marriages, and you do a lot of work with funeral planning, um, which is honestly, I think, one of the most important things that we do um, here because of how much support it gives to the families. Yeah, Yeah. and I I really enjoy like when I've been able to do a service or take communion to somebody at a nursing home and somebody, and it's, again, some of the moments... um, I remember I I was taking communion to um, a group of individual is in their rooms. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went to this uh, one room and there was this woman who was in her wheelchair kind of slumped mm-hmm. over. Um, she looked like she was asleep. And again, I was kind of nervous. I don't, right. you know, it, it it's out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So, but I decided, okay, I'll try. I walked in and mm-hmm. I introduced myself and she kind of sort of acknowledged that I was in the room mm-hmm. and you know, I said, well, would you like to pray with me? And mm-hmm. and uh, as soon as I started praying, her uh, her lips were moving. Oh, wow. And uh, she followed entire prayers with me. Oh, wow. And it was very moving. So that, those kind of things really strike you yeah. as how deep somebody's faith is, is that even in some of their late final moments yeah. that they still have that faith and knowledge mm-hmm. and um, that desire for God. Mm-hmm. So do you ever feel now 
now that you're not working in the secular field anymore, uh, do you do you have any regrets? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I try not to have regrets because every moment brings me to where I am. Yeah. And so had I not worked in the secular world, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I wouldn't be where mm-hmm. I'm at. Yeah. And so I really don't think about it as regrets. Um, mm-hmm. You know, w- working in the church is a lot different than working in the secular world. Um, yeah. And uh, I've had to kind of adjust to a few mm-hmm. things there, but I, I don't regret it at all. I don't regret it at all. Um, but I'm probably working as harder, harder here than I've ever done mm. in my previous jobs. Mm-hmm. So, but it's it's very fulfilling work yeah. and uh, very rewarding. So, yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you then, just thinking back to like your experience. Um, basically being kicked out of the Lutheran <laughs> church. Best thing that ever happened to That's me. what I was just going to ask. Like, when did you start to piece together that that was maybe a good thing that happened to you? Well, it took a while yeah. uh, because at first I was very resentful. Mm-hmm. But I think it was later after um, I went through RCIA and, and joined mm-hmm. the church that I could look back and say, well, you know, there was the hand of God, mm-hmm. you know, leading me. It was mm-hmm. kind of a indirect route. Right. But had that not have happened, right. I don't know how I would have, mm-hmm. you know, continued, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allowed me to then have a common faith platform mm-hmm. for our family uh, as our kids went through the sacraments and, you know, the religious ed here and so forth. So, um, again, you at the time— you know, you really questioned, you questioned God as to what, mm-hmm. why, and why are you doing this to me right. kind of thing. And it's only later on sometimes that you can look back and say, oh, that, that, that's why that <laughs> happened, because then I could, you yeah. know, do this, and then mm-hmm. I could meet Father Roger, and, and then I could do this. You could move across the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was funny. When we were looking for a house to buy, um, I was out of the country, and uh, Maureen and her mom and her aunt were driving through Celine to go mm-hmm. to an open house. Well, they took a wrong turn mm. and came up Austin when it came off of Michigan Avenue. Mm-hmm. And they hit the church, realized that there was nothing past the church. And so they turned around in the church. And mm-hmm. just as they were driving back, the realtor was putting an open house sign out oh, in wow. front of this house. And so they said, well, we're right here. And uh, they pulled in and Maureen loved the house. And um, so we ended up we ended up buying no way that's a coincidence yeah so again it's just like oh yeah god you wanted me close to the church for a reason yeah yeah that's uh, that's that's really cool one last question i wanted to ask was how did your experience uh, either with kind of the painful way that you left the lutheran church or the way that you came into the faith how does that impact the way that you approach your role as a deacon well, I, I guess I think that everybody's journey is a little bit different, mm. and everybody kind of comes to a realization at different points in their life. So you can't approach everybody the same way, because mm. you know God may be leading them through their indirect route mm. into the church for a reason. And so you, you know, I've tried to to understand people from where they are at at that mm. particular moment. And then how can I be a part of guiding in that journey mm-hmm. through meeting with them or through a mm-hmm. funeral planning or 
through a homily or whatever. So it, it really is trying to allow God his path in somebody's life and what part can I play in that. Right, right. All right. Well, I think we've covered a lot of really good ground. Is there anything that you wanted to share that you um, want to say now? Uh, did we miss anything? Or I don't think so. Um, again, it was a little convoluted journey for me, but uh, uh, I'm pleased at the outcome. Um, so far. So, so, yeah, so far. far. Yeah, there's there's more to come. There's uh-huh. different every day. Uh-huh. But I uh, I value the 14 years that I've been as a mm-hmm. deacon here and the, what, year and a half that I've been on staff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a, a journey worth taking. And I, I'll go back and encourage anybody and everybody to go through RCIA mm-hmm. uh, because it's a worthwhile uh, endeavor to learn yeah. more about your faith and to grow stronger and to uh, to get on fire a little bit mm-hmm. more in your life for, for God. I know that the way that um, we run it now, they are encourage every person who is going through to have like a companion mm-hmm. that goes through it with them. And the companions have done it so far have found it extremely beneficial to their faith. And, you know, it's it's really great for the people going through RCA to have people who have been Catholic longer. They're alongside them when they meet. But it's also great for those people and anybody who's listening, if that sounds like something's, you know, prodding your heart or something about that. You know, you really can go through RCIA even if you're not planning to go through the different rites because you've already, you know, received the sacraments and things like that. Um, and you Maureen, can do that here. Yeah, Maureen was a companion mm-hmm. to my niece, and Maureen learned a ton mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, just got so much out of mm-hmm. it. So, so, yeah, it's it's good for everybody to go through. Yep. Awesome. Well, I do usually like to end with an invitation. So you did that without me <laughs> prompting you. So I think we'll go ahead and, and just close it up here and... Well, again, thank you for uh, allowing me this opportunity and uh, hope I can encourage other people to do the same. Yeah, hopefully people will. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Story. If you're enjoying this podcast, and we hope that you are since you're listening right now, could you do us a favor and recommend it to one other person, a family member, a friend, a fellow parishioner, We really appreciate your listenership, and we hope that it's something that you have enjoyed enough to want to invite others to listen to as well. If you have a story from your personal faith journey that you'd like to share with others through this podcast or by other means, you can let us know by filling out the form at standrewsceline.org slash witness.